70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, pendengar KBS World Radio, dimanapun Anda berada. Perkenalkan, nama saya Rudy Hartono dari Kalimantan Barat. Hello, KBS World Radio listeners all over the world. My name is Rudy Hatono. I live in Kalimantan in Western Indonesia. I was deeply touched by the journey KBS World Radio took in becoming a station loved by all generations. I really want to mention how popular KBS World Radio is where I am. KBS World Radio's websites and social media accounts are especially a big source of inspiration. I think it provided its listeners with a variety of listening options by making a timely transition to new platforms in this day and age of ever-evolving technologies. I wish you will continue to please your listeners through great programs. Warm greetings from Indonesia. Dari Kalimantan, Indonesia. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it is Thursday, the 2nd of March, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang Schools across the nation began their new academic year today, with students attending class without a mask mandate for the first time in three years. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. President Yoon has been pushing for labour reforms, which includes recent calls for labour unions to open their account books. We discussed the reform plans and the controversies for our in-depth today. And coming up, our Explore Korea uh, arts expert introduces us to visual artist Yoon jung mi and her latest solo exhibition in Seoul. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Um, now that school begins, I think I'll make many good friends here. Before, when I attended kindergarten, the copies were outside, but here at elementary school, they're inside, so I think that's cool. I brought many things today, like my indoor shoes and my bag. Um, elementary school is big, and there's a Korean flag here. Compared to kindergarten, elementary school is bigger and there's a pegukki. We talked about rules at school, but other than that, I don't remember much. Oh, my bag? I didn't carry anything in my bag today. Before, we could only take pictures outside the school, but now we can take pictures wherever, and I think it's great to make memories with my child. But I am still worried about the virus, so I am wearing my mask. Oh. 
What you heard there were the voices of excited young students and parents who had taken part in a welcoming ceremony at Seoul Gangbit Elementary School as the academic year began today. And for the first time in three years, the event took part fully in person and without a mask mandate. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Gu Hijin joins us in the studio now to brief us on the changes at school as well as our other headlines of the day. Hijin, hello. Hello, jang So students are able to see the faces of their fellow schoolmates once more and their teachers, of course, for the first time since the outbreak of COVID-19. Dividers are gone from their lunch tables and gone too are the temperature checking devices at the entrance of school buildings. Mm-hmm. So Hijin, can you tell us uh, some of the changes uh, some of the more changes that we've seen in the past four years. Well, on Thursday, most elementary, middle and high schools across the nation held in-person entrance ceremonies that did not require students to wear masks for the first time since March 2019. Now, while in 2020, shortly after the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the beginning of the school year was repeatedly postponed before ceremonies were held uh, online in mid-April, with the following two years featuring offline ceremonies that held mask wearing essential. And now as they start the new year in 2023, the government has adjusted quarantine rules that no longer mandate masks and ease regulations on the submission of information in the self-diagnosis app. Under these new rules, entering such information is only recommended if a person is suffering from COVID-19 symptoms, has tested positive for the virus, or is waiting for PCR test results after a family member has tested positive. And although wearing masks indoors is no longer mandatory, in line with the lifting of that rule in January, students will still be obligated to wear masks on school buses, I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you brief us on some of the other rules? Well, schools must also maintain basic safety requirements, including regularly ventilating classrooms and reserving areas where students or faculty members showing symptoms of COVID-19 can be observed. The Education Ministry will provide schools with support for the next two weeks to help them adjust to these new rules with plans to assign up to 58,000 quarantine personnel to schools and provide hand sanitizers and thermometers to lessen the financial burden. Yes, we wish the best for the students uh, for the year ahead and and an uninterrupted year ahead as well. Indeed. Turning to matters of national defence and security now, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff conducted an inspection on Monday on some of the fighters and vessels that were operational during the Joint South Korea-US Tech Knife exercise that kicked off last week, including the AC-130J Ghost Rider gunship. Can you tell us more? Well, the JCS said on Thursday that its chairman, Kim Seung-gyum, reviewed operational execution procedures and troop battle posture in response to increasing provocations from North Korea, with this week focusing on honing the precision strike skills of South Korean and U.S. special warfare units using aerial firepower. This year's drill includes the first ever participation of the AC-130J 
Ghost Rider gunship, which will be deployed in special operations against the North in the event of a contingency on the Korean peninsula. The aircraft was deployed for these drills to precisely strike targets using the AGM-114 Hellfire air-to-ground missile and the precision-guided munition AGM-176 Griffin, among other precision-guided weapons. The JCS chief called on the troops to acquire the capacity to flawlessly strike key facilities held by enemy forces. His inspection comes ahead of the Allies' combined springtime field training exercises dubbed Freedom Shield, slated for later this month. Turning now to South Korea-Japan relations, the Japanese government said that South Korea is an important neighbour with which Japan should cooperate to address various challenges facing the international community. So what more did they say and what was this in response to? Well, in a regular press briefing on Wednesday, Japanese Cabinet Secretary Hirokazu Matsuno responded to President Yoon Suk-yeol's March 1st Independence Movement Day speech, referring to Japan as a partner that shares universal values and cooperates on security, the economy and global issues. Matsuno said Tokyo will closely communicate with Seoul to improve and further develop bilateral ties based on the friendly cooperative relationship the two sides have built since normalising diplomatic relations. In Wednesday's speech, Yun said that Japan has transformed from a militaristic aggressor of the past into a partner that shares universal values with South Korea. Japanese media outlets assessed that Yun was emphasising future-oriented relations between the two nations. Let's continue on now to some issues closer to home. The prosecution has decided not to indict First Lady Kim Gani over allegations of violating the anti-graft law. Can you elaborate? Well, according to legal circles on Thursday, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office came to the decision after probing claims that the event planning firm founded by Kim, Kovana Contents, had violated the law. The First Lady had been cleared of all charges related to the company securing sponsorship from 10 conglomerates for an exhibition in 2018 and from 17 top companies for an exhibition in 2019. The suspicion uh, arose when uh, President Yoon Song yeol was the head of the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office during the 2018 event, and as Yun was named Prosecutor General when the 2019 exhibition was being held. Uh, this decision follows an earlier dismissal by the prosecution of claims that Kim violated the anti-graft law back in December 2021 in relation to an exhibit held by Kavana Contents in 2016 with sponsorship from 23 companies, including Deutsche Motors. Uh, meanwhile, uh, prosecutors are continuing their probe into allegations that Kim was one of the market players involved in manipulating the stock price of Deutsche Motors. Moving on to the economic front, the government held an emergency meeting on Thursday to discuss flagging exports following five straight months of decline while the nation posted a trade deficit for an entire year. What can you tell us? Well, the Trade Ministry convened the meeting chaired by Minister Yi Changyang that brought together senior officials charged with exports and investment duties at 19 government agencies. The Ministry said the meeting was held as export and investment conditions, both at home and abroad, continue to cause concern, even though the drop in exports and the trade deficit in February was smaller than January. Mr Yi said that that uh, government uh, 
agencies must exert all-out efforts to help the private sector meet this year's export target of 685 billion US dollars, a five billion dollar increase from the government's initial objective set late last year. The ministry plans to hold monthly meetings chaired by the minister to review progress in the agency's effort to help exporters meet its target. And finally, Prime Minister Han Dok-su has pledged to create more jobs through labour reforms that will make the job market more flexible. Can you elaborate? Well, speaking at a job fair on Thursday, the Prime Minister painted a bleak picture of the labour market this year, but said there was a limit to creating jobs with taxes, adding that it is not what young people want and does not guarantee sustainable growth. Han said the reforms will include flexible working hours that enable young people to enjoy work-life balance, while ensuring that compensation is fair, as well as support for companies that facilitate the creation of high-quality jobs in growing industries such as data management. He also said that the government will achieve innovation in the industrial structure and create new growth engines through the efficacy and flexibility of the labour market. Yes, we'll be talking more about labour reforms for our in-depth today. But first, we wrap up our news briefing here. Heejin, as ever, thank you for those updates. Thank you. Last week, President Yoon Sung-yeol vowed to root out quote-unquote extortion and violent actions carried out by labour unions at construction sites within his term. This push to hold labour unions accountable has been a key aspect of his labour reform drive, which he has said is aimed at ensuring flexibility in the labour market, fairness in labour management relations and creating safe working environments. To that end, he has recently called for labour unions to disclose their account books, but such moves have been met with backlash from labour groups. To get some expert analysis on the Union Administration's labour reform plans, we have two guests joining us in the studio. First, we have Professor Park Sang-in from the Graduate School of Public Administration at Seoul National University. Professor Park, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's great to have you on the show today. And we also have Professor Kim Myung-jin from the Sogang Business School. Professor Kim, thank you for being on the show as well. Good afternoon. So the Union Administration has been pushing for labour reforms. In fact, even today, uh, Prime Minister Han Dok-su said at a jobs fair that the government will push for labour reforms in order to create more jobs. Mm. Professor Kim, can you start us off? Can you explain for us the overall crux of the Union Administration's labour reform drive? And what do you make of it? Well, um, the key idea of UN administration's uh, labor reform drive is to create jobs and grow economies mm. by tying up uh, social economic policies from industry and education to uh, labor and welfare. So that is, that's the key part of uh, the labor reform. So uh, this UN administration wants to ease uh, regulations on uh, labor policies. Like, you know, um, the basic idea is that uh, if we relax uh, uh, flexibility, uh, having flexibility in labor market, then we will grow um, the economies. So, you you know, the mission want to um, ease labor regulations, give companies and workers 
what to say. They say workers more freedom in the areas such as um, setting working hours and minimum wages, while applying stricter measures to uh, labor unions, such as in opening up uh, the mm. accounting books and abolishing illegal practices like. Uh, unlawful uh, money, you know, takings from business and uh, job inheritance sure. arrangement. Um, this is the basic idea. So the the uh, in sum, the labor reform uh, drive of union administration is initiated to achieve economic uh, growth by giving more flexibility to companies. Do you agree with the need for reforms? Do you agree with the union administration's concerns regarding uh, South Korea's labour system? Well, <laughs> that's a tricky question, right? Um, so uh, to answer this question, we have to look at you know, previous studies. According to a study by IMF researchers in 2012, um, which used a panel of 97 uh, countries from uh, 1985 to uh, 2008, Improvement in labor uh, market flexibility have a significant negative impact on unemployment, um, especially hiring and firing regulation and hiring cost are found to uh, have the strongest effect. Um, th- what that means, if you make labor market more flexible, mm. then we will have less unemployment. Um, however, we have another, you know, uh, research study that indicate a negative effect of flexibility. Um, this study investigate the effect of uh, labor flexibility on workers' poverty in 15 EU countries. The results suggest that the higher flexibility of uh, labor market is correlated in the long run with the higher number of workers living in poverty. And uh, the U.S. Um, is the most relaxed uh, regulation on labor management, while Germany has the strongest one. Sure. U.S. in the U.S. Uh, layoff is easy. Working hours per week is differentiated by jobs and industries, and also uh, minimum wage is determined by each state. So basically, um, the labor regulation um, is very situated and different across mm. the countries. At the moment, you know, administration's point um, is good. I think <laughs> that, you know, we never had we the the, the labor uh, regulation in Korea right. um, has been getting stronger and stronger, but never been reformed. Right now, we are on the very uh, developed countries, and we have to review the economic situation, and also mm. we have to renew those kind of labor practices. Professor Park, let me turn to you now. What have you made of President Yun's push for labor reforms? Well, uh, in my opinion, the President Yun's drive for labor reform is, in essence, uh, political propaganda mm. to stimulate his uh, political conservative base and uh, distract people uh, from economic difficulties. But it is, I mean, many uh, so-called reform issues he uh, enumerates require uh, amending the law. As you may know, uh, opposition party is the majority in the National Assembly. Right. Um, the you know, if Yun administration and the president really want to make any difference in the labor issues, uh, they have to be cooperative with labor union. But their attitude towards the labor union is very hostile. So 
under that circumstance, I don't see any cooperation from labor union and opposition party. So nothing will be done. Uh, any, significant, any significant agenda, uh, he suggests, will not be done at all. So it's a, I mean, I probably they know that they just try to make it as a political issue and uh, uh, distract attention uh, to the labor issue and make kind of victimize uh, the labor issues uh, as uh, the fundamental cause of economic difficulties uh, Korea is now uh, faced with. But it's not totally true. And the, uh, the labor market in Korea is very flexible. One third of uh, wage workers, irregular workers. That means their tenures are not guaranteed at all. They can be fired in a year uh, as the, the wish of the employers of the companies, mm. right? So uh, I don't see uh, why, I mean, uh, the, uh, uh, President Yoon argued that Korea is not flexible in the labor market. Actually, it's not flexible in a sense the market is very segmented segmented by uh, company size, by the status of the workers, like regular, irregular workers. We need that kind of reform. We need to change that kind of structure. But that structure of the segmentation results from the economic structure of the Korea. The, the, uh, we have monopsonists of the big jewel companies, and they have ex- exclusive supply chain. So uh, along with the supply chain, uh, they engage in the price squeezing. So uh, that is the basic reason, the difference in a huge differential of wage by the size of the company, by uh, status of the workers. So the professor, I mean, the president, you don't really want to make any difference. Fundamental changes have to do structural reform, which will leading to the more flexible and unified labor market. He has, uh, I mean, wrong idea hmm. about the, uh, the, the context of the specifics of Korean labor market. Yeah, part of that, um, actually, I agree to uh, Professor Park. And I mean, you know, the making um, the labor, uh, manage, labor union uh, transparent is quite important one. And that might be starting point, but it is kind of small take. Um, so what uh, we have is like we have company union system, uh, which might be very, very um, separated part of labors. And also uh, our uh, unionization rate is only 14 percent. It's extremely small. Mm. So the labor unions, big, big trade uh, two trade uh, unions do not have like uh, like uh, uh, representation of all labors. And then labors could not be um, organized or unionized because every single company has labor unions. And then, like you know, Germany, they have national and industrial uh, unions. So which has the uh, negotiation power mm. with the companies and also governments? So the first step, um, if they want to reform this labor structure, that is the key part. Sure. But uh, perhaps the most controversial aspect uh, has been the fact that President Yun has been so vocal in his uh, calls for transparency of mm-hmm. the labor unions. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what do you make of those calls? The fact You say it's actually a small take, but 
uh, President Yoon's focus on that. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, mm-hmm. Professor Kim? Well, you know, um, the I think you know President uh, Yoon has a point. I mean, but uh, he considered labor unions um, or labor unions' practice are not transparent and somewhat. Uh, illegal, you know, and even somewhat violent. But I don't agree uh, 100% to that. But um, making um, the uh, labor unions practice, you know, transparent, especially in financial activities, uh, makes sense. I mean, you know, the like I mentioned, you know, the unionization rate is only 14%, mm. and they get a lot of government subsidies and tax benefits. If you have, you know, uh, government subsidies, you have to report to the government of your activities. And also, government has the right to ask those kind of report from them. Sure. Um, and even the law says, well, you know, you can have, you know, an internal audit. Not, you don't have to hire, you know, third-party external audit. Uh, we don't have laws for that. So um, you have to make, you know, like Professor Pang mentioned, we have to have, you know, uh, uh, regulations in a law first, and then we can push that. And um, but but sure, like I mentioned, you mm. know, that uh, he's um, he has point. Well, last week, the president, uh, he said transparency of the labor unions uh, is key. This uh, comes after labor unions in the construction industry were accused of pressuring employers to hire their union members for construction jobs. And President Yun described this as extortion and violent actions. Professor Pak, what do you make of his concerns over the practice of labor unions? uh, Transparency in uh, accounting or the, some practice in the construction site by the union, uh, I guess, may uh, have some points. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, those are not the essential issue in the labor and the union in Korea for now. I mean, he, uh, the attitude of the union administration is uh, basically try to find some force with the laborers and the unions. And to make them very, I mean, uh, public and the, uh, you know, make bad, bad reputation on labor union. So I, this is not the way he can push for the reform if he is uh, actually sincere about the reform. Okay, in the sense I just said, it's more political propaganda rather than a truthful uh, attempt for the reform. One one more thing I like to point out is the regarding the transparency of the accounting practice. I mean, mm. for now, as far as I know, the union uh, have to report all the accounting details if. Uh, the union receives the subsidy from the government, and the, the any subsidy based program and mm. the project must be transparent right. enough to report everything. Also, they follow the law in the audit pro, uh, practice and the uh, etc. Right, but the you know the medicine went further, and they ask to reveal every details of the activity, or even though the revenues come from the membership fee of the union. It's not totally wrong. They, 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 I, as far as I know, there is no country which requires that kind of transparency or mm. review of the activities sure. of unions. So it will violate, violate autonomy of labor union. And if it is the case, the Korean company receive huge amount of money as a subsidy, then that means the older company have to reveal all the detailed receipts 
of their activities. Right. Well, you know, actually, government subsidies to uh, labor unions was like uh, uh, about uh, 1,500, uh, no, uh, how do I say, uh, 15 billion um, one. That, that, that includes the, the sponsored program, especially the uh, uh, operated by the Federation of Korea Trade Union, which mm. is more mild and pro-government uh, union than mm. uh, the Korea Confederation of Trade Union. Well, so, <laughs> well, Professor Kim, do you have any concerns about the government looking at account books of labor unions? No, actually, um, I don't have uh, concern. Um, because, you know, because they are actually public. I mean, even labor unions, you know, okay, in the, in the old days, like uh, we have military uh, government and they're very violent and um, very dangerous. So this, we, we have to accept the contribution of these labor unions to our democratization movement and also protect our labors. We accept it with due respect. But now uh, everything is going very transparent in our society. So labor unions cannot be exception. It's not so. an exception. They are binding by the law for now. I mean, yeah, the I mean, president I mean, asking for more accessible. No, 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 no. What, I'm, what I'm saying, asking more means, you know, they have to, let's say, they, they have to, uh, I mean, their budget per year is over um, 100 billion won. So I think, you know, if that is the company, they have to report, they have to have third-party audit. They do. So, they do have the practice now. It is required by the law, and they have to report the revenue. It was not the revenue and the law. Uh, no, not, the, the government is asking for the receipt attached for all no, the activities. Not, not only receipt, but all accounting activities. Basically. As you well, mentioned, right? Well, there are a huge amount of ex- <laughs> expenditure. So how <laughs> can they can do, deal with that kind of requirement? If it is the case, the, mm. all the Korean companies have to follow the same kind of routines. Right. There's clearly a difference in the interpretation of uh, what the government is asking for, what the labor unions feel that they should be showing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a point of contention that is uh, very well represented, I think, in this discussion at the moment. If we uh, tackle one more thing, uh, the labor unions have also been accused of getting involved in politics as well. For example, the president's spokesperson gave one example where unions have expressed opposition to military exercises with the U.S. So, Professor Park, what are your thoughts on the labor unions' involvement in politics concerns? That's not involvement of politics. That is the, you know, uh, you know, their opinion, basically, right? So, in Korea, by the law, the uh, unions' political participation is strictly restricted. It's, I mean, in case of Sweden, for example, right, the union is the, basically the uh, sponsor of the ruling party, uh, Social Democrat Party. And even in the United States, I mean, union can donate money to the politician who support the union activities, etc., etc. They can support any candidates in election. In Korea, all of those are totally prohibited by the law. Okay, but... They can make public announcement about a certain policy or etc. That is not uh, the you know, political activities. You know, if, if it is political activity, right? So then everyone is engaged in the political. Right. That is the minimum That's political activities. <laughs> well, Professor Kim, what do you make of the criticism that the unions are too involved in politics? 
No, actually, I agree to uh, uh, Professor Park's idea. I mean, uh, the key purpose of labor union uh, are to improve the working condition, uh, the quality of working condition, and then fairness in uh, labor practices, etc. Right? To achieve these kind of goals, you know, um, they have to have political power, uh, which uh, might be exercised through collective actions. I strongly believe they have the right, you know, uh, to those kind of collective actions. But the thing is, here the point is different. The thing is that should be in a legal way. That is the key part. And and you know, in the United States and other uh, uh, European countries, labor unions support their own uh, party, political parties, and they donate a lot of money. They you know uh, support you know election activities, those kind of things, you know. Not through like a kind of a strike or, hmm. or illegal strike. I, I mean, you know that there might be you no know, legal uh, one strike. Thing, let me clear, clarify one thing. The union <laughs> never briefly. went on strike for uh, opposing of the military exercise. Uh, whether I mean, I don't uh, agree with the argument about uh, against the military exercise. However, this is kind of their opinion. I, I think I mean that is not the violation of law. Sure. That's what I meant. Well, just as a final thought then, Professor Kim, uh, what advice would you like to give perhaps to the government as they seek their labour reforms now? Well, you know, the, first of all, uh, government and lawmakers need to understand whenever we have any kind of social uh, practice, there should be a background, I mean, historical background, how we get there. So they, first they have to understand, you know, what kind of things happening in there and if that is a social structure, they have to get through long uh, negotiation and consensus process. They have to be prepared to um, come up with you know, solutions after all. Otherwise, you know, they won't get expected outcomes. So, so the second part, you know, um, our economic you know, condition, our, our economic uh, ecosystem has been developing and also totally changed from early days mm. um, of developing countries. So now we have to think about, you know, what is the best, you know, labor practice we have to have as a developed countries. That is the key part, you know, our government need to think of. So no quick fix and more perhaps uh, philosophical thinking about exactly. uh, the whole exactly. environment as well. And finally, uh, Professor Park, uh, you have given some advice already to the government, <laughs> but what else would you like to tell them? Yeah, I, I, if the President Yoon and the administration right make any meaningful and significant difference, they have to be cooperative with the union. They have to be open-minded. For now, I mean, right, they are right. very hostile against mm -hmm. the union mm -hmm. and the opposition party. So, uh, I mean, if they really believe it is important, then they have to be uh, engaged with the conversation with the union first. So that, that is the way they show the uh, sincerity on the issue. If otherwise, I mean, it's just political uh, maneuvering and propaganda. Yeah. We'll leave it there. We'll be speaking with Professor Park Sang-in from Seoul National University and Professor Kim Yong-jin from Sagang Business School. Thank you both for your thoughts and for this lively discussion today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. 
The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 15 points, or 0.62% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,427.85. The tech-heavy Kosdaq fell, however, losing 4.41 points, or 0.56%, to close at 787.19. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 7-1 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,315.61. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment where we look to some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And once again, we welcome our contributor, Diane Yu, to the studio. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, jang We dive straight into our stories today. Mm-hmm. So, Diane, what do you have for us first? If you go to a hotel, there are complimentary items such as small disposable tubes of toothpaste or shampoos, mm. which are sometimes considered perks of going to these luxurious hotels. <laughs> but it looks like we won't be seeing these items at these establishments in the near future. According to the Ministry of Environment earlier this week, a bill that would include hotels in the list of businesses that are restricted from using disposable products under the Resource Recycling Act was passed during the plenary session of the National Assembly, and it will go into effect next year. Okay, so can you provide a bit more detail? Tell us more about uh, the bill. Until now, businesses such as restaurants and large marts were banned from providing disposable items, while saunas and baths were not allowed to provide toothpaste or shampoo. But under the new bill, the restriction will extend to accommodations with more than 50 rooms. Right. So what's been the reaction to this new bill, especially from the uh, hotel industry? Well, hotels have voiced concerns, saying that providing dispensers like wall-mounted shampoos and body wash becomes a hygiene issue as all the guests share the products. And there are also criticisms of effectiveness of the policy. If guests do not use multi-use dispensers due to issue with hygiene, they're more likely to buy disposable toothbrushes and shampoos at a nearby convenience store rather than bring their own supplies. If that's the case, then this will not solve the fundamental problem the government is trying to eradicate, which is protecting the environment by using fewer disposable goods. Yes, I don't think such complaints will convince the government to rethink the plans. I think the hotels will have to adapt. So travellers, be warned Mm -hmm. not to expect such free items in Korean hotels in the near future. Okay, so what's the second story that you have for us today? Hyundai Motor Company's recruitment of production workers was met with explosive interest on the first day of the application period, with many people having to wait just to enter the recruitment portal site from early in the morning. At around 9 a.m. today, it was found that there were more than 10,000 people on the waiting list to enter the site to apply for positions. On top of that, it's believed that the number of applicants could exceed well above 100,000, as it is the first time in 10 years that the company has started looking for technical workers. That is a huge number. How many vacant positions are they actually competing for? Well, the number of employees the company is trying to hire is 400. So anyone with a high school diploma or higher is eligible to apply regardless of age or gender. The motor company has been given the nickname God's Workplace because its employees' average annual salary reaches 100 million won, which is over 76,000 US dollars, and the business is stable. So it is seen as an attractive company to work for. Wow, still 100,000 people competing for 400 400. places. That's 
250 applicants <laughs> per place. Yes. That is incredible. So what does the actual recruitment process look like? Applications will be accepted from the 2nd to the 12th of this month, and applicants who pass the first document screening will be announced at the end of March. Due to the sheer number of interviews needed and the scale of training for new employees, all applicants will be divided into two groups. The first group will go through the first interview, a personality test, and a second interview from April to June. The second group will go through the same process from May to the end of June. Then successful candidates who pass all the recruitment steps in the first group will be announced in the early July, hired in early August, and assigned their roles in September. And newcomers from the second group will be announced at the end of July, will then join the company in early September and given their roles in early October. Yes, I feel for the people in charge of the hiring process as well. It's right. going to be a huge endeavor. For sure. Uh, meanwhile, I believe another automobile manufacturer, uh, Hyundai's subsidiary company, mm-hmm. Kia Corporation, is also planning to hire new employees, right? That's right. Kia announced last month that it plans to hire new production workers for a second consecutive year in 2023. But the specific size of the recruitment will be decided through discussions later. Okay, let's uh, move on to our last story for today. What else has been trending? In this day and age, it has become easier for fans to track down the whereabouts of their idols, whether it be through social media, news articles, or online communities. Unfortunately, there are extreme cases where fans can go too far. And that's what happened to a member of South Korea's mega-hit boy band, BTS. On Wednesday, RM, the main rapper and leader of the group, expressed his discomfort on social media when it became known that his personal information was accessed without permission. RM took a screenshot of an article about the incident and shared it with his fans. Okay, so what exactly was the article about and what personal information was leaked? The article that the rapper shared contained a news report about an employee of the National Railway Operator Korea Railroad Corporation, or CoRail, who looked up RM's ticket information without permission. According to CoRail on Wednesday, an internal audit revealed that an IT employee had accessed RM's personal information for three years from 2019, such as the rapper's ticket information, address, and mobile phone number. The internal audit was conducted after a co-worker reported the employee to the company. It was found that they were able to access customer information while working in the department that develops the reservation system. Right, we should explain they not only looked up this information, but they actually went out to see RM to catch a glimpse of him in public. And also they reportedly told people they know where RM will be seated on a train Mm -hmm. so they could book seats nearby. So it was a huge breach of personal information. Mm -hmm. Has Corel made a statement about this? An official firm the railway operator said, quote, this employee inquired about personal information without permission, but the circumstances of the external leakage have not been confirmed, end quote. They added that since this incident, the corporation has developed and implemented a function that opens a pop-up window or asks the reason for inquiry when personal information is trying to be accessed by an employee. And as for the employee who accessed RM's information, they admitted the wrongdoing, saying that it was done out of personal curiosity. They have been suspended, and Corail plans to take disciplinary action. Yes, that's the least I would expect to happen. Right. Okay, that's where we'll wrap it up for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. See you next time.
Next up, it's Explore Korea, a weekly segment where we discover the cultural, historical, and travel highlights that the country has to offer. And joining me this week, it is our arts and culture explorer, Anjo, who gamely filled in for me last week, hosting the show <laughs> while I was away. Joe, hello. It's uh, great to see you, and uh, thank you for that last week. It was an absolute pleasure, and I must say, it was a very educational time. <laughs> <laughs> Because I've learned that, yes, that's why Changwo's Changwo, and no. that's why I'm not Changwo. Let's just put it that way. No, I knew the show would be in capable hands, so uh, I knew you wouldn't disappoint, and you didn't, certainly. We all appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners enjoyed a, a fresh voice as well. Hopefully. Thank you so much for the kind words. Okay, let's get into your real expertise now. What okay. are we talking about today? All right, so Chang, we're going to talk about an artist I've had in mind to discuss on our show for quite some time, not just because she's simply a phenomenal artist, but also because I confidently believe a conversation on her life and work perfectly abides by the mission of Hashtag Korea24. Her latest solo exhibition recently opened, which is kind of like a mini retrospective. In other words, it's a great opportunity for both A, the people who've been following her career for quite some time, to revisit a well-curated selection of some of her most iconic works, and B, the people who'd be interested in enjoying a crash course on her fascinating career so far. Changwo, the protagonist of this week's Explore Korea, is the globally acclaimed visual artist Yun Chang. Okay, so the visual artist Yun Jung-mi, can you tell us more about her then? Absolutely. So she was born in 1969 here in Seoul. Uh, she earned her bachelor's degree from the Department of Western Painting at Seoul National University, then did something which young painters do, I'm sorry, not too often do. She went to Hongik University to do her master's at not Hongik's painting department, but the Department of Photography. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting some of our SNU alumni buddies a while ago. They said, well, back then, this was a rather shocking thing for her to do because mm. while it's surprising enough for a student of brushwork to suddenly switch their craft to camera work, it was even more so in the case of Yun Jung-mi, as they all say, she was quite a promising young talent of painting. Hence thought she would obviously continue going on her way towards becoming a prominent painter. So I asked the artist myself during a recent interview, well, she said she was an undergraduate student at a time when abstract painting was mm. the most dominant movement in Korean painting. Therefore, her professors mainly focused on developing their students into abstract painters as well, while she, on the other hand, personally had more interest in a more concrete artistic representation of the world. Hence, naturally developed an interest in photography. And that's where she's kept her... Uh, over, right? So she absolutely. is primarily, predominantly a photographer now, then, I understand. Yes, absolutely. So uh, she goes to Hongik, where they have a graduate program in photography, while SNU does not. And after completing her studies at Hongik, she went to one of the most prestigious art schools in the world, the School of Visual Arts in New York, for her second master's at the Department of Photography, Video, and Related Media. And, of course, many years later, thanks to these courageous and audacious choices she made in terms of A, academics, B, expanding her craft into a combination of photography, video art, and installation art, and C, the grand effort in trying her best to be true to herself, today she's celebrated as one of the most unique and insightful visual artists in Korea's contemporary art scene. Mm. Now, Chang-wo, this is one of the three main reasons why I said earlier that a conversation on her life and work fits well into the mission of Korea24. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, 
the mission of our program goes beyond merely updating our listeners on the latest in Korea, right? Right. And I believe we are also in the studio today to inspire our global audience with the inspiring things which happen in this part of the world. And while we now live in a world where social media plays a crucial role in the reproduction and reinforcement of social norms and trends, from political preferences to all sorts of social media challenges and everything else in between, now, Channel, let's think about it. That's precisely how companies like Cambridge Analytica made their money Mm -hmm. and TikTok have been making theirs. And a generation earlier, there was a young artist student embedded in the waves of the Korean abstract painting movement. However, instead of hopping onto a surfboard, she decided to generate an original current of her own, whose waves are now on the broadcasting waves of KBS, reminding the world that while social interaction and socialization are important parts of our individual lives, what's also important is our individualities, championing our respective identities and walks of life. Thank you so much, Yoon Jung-mi. Right, so in other words, don't just follow the trends. Be true to yourself and forge your own path. And I guess you will be rewarded uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. And thank you for that very generous uh, view of what uh, our show does and can do <laughs> I as hope I'm well. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so you've said that she's one of the most unique and insightful visual artists mm-hmm. in Korea's contemporary art scene. What's so special about her work then? Okay, well, let me first say this. A few years ago, a close photo artist friend of mine told me that, and I quote, photography is an art of distortion, Hmm. and unquote. And he said what he means by that is that a quote-unquote perfect photographic representation of anything photographed cannot exist since there's no such thing as a perfect representation camera. Mm, I see. Right? Mm. So in my opinion, this further implies that the biological and artistic characteristics of who's behind the camera dictate the representation of what's being photographed, from pressing the shutter to post-production and every other step of the entire process. Oh, and by the way, this is exactly why one should never say that photography is an easier art form, so to speak, than the non-lens visual arts, such as painting and sculpture. Some people have that prejudice. That has to go away. And in the case of Yoon Jung-mi, one of the many things which makes her camera work so special is her insight into various social phenomena, especially the ones many of us too easily overlook. For example... The color code of gender. Think about it. Why is it that when young couples, when they have a baby boy, they all get blue stuff for them? When Mm. they have a baby girl, they all get pink stuff for them, right? And this is exactly what inspired her iconic series called The Pink and Blue Project, right? And it's basically, they have, what she does is she puts a a, a young boy model and surrounds him with all his belongings, Mm. which so clearly show that there's (laughs) nothing but blue. And exactly for for the opposite uh, gender, it's all pink, right? So she's done an incredible series on this. And it's really interesting because... When I was a sociology student during my undergraduate years, uh, one interesting sociological experience I came across was how a group of sociologists, they had uh, these, they experimented with uh, two different groups of adults. And what they did was with group A, they sent him into a room which had a little baby with a diaper on. So visually, they couldn't tell the gender of this child, right? Mm. And then they just said, hey, it's a boy. So with all the items within this room... Give to this boy whatever you think is right. And they all chose blue stuff. 
And then for the other group of adults, what they did was almost the exact same thing, except they told them that it was sure. a pearl. And mm -hmm. this time, this group of adults all chose red or pink items. Right, And the reason why I'm saying this is because if you learn this, say, at the Department of Sociology in an academic fashion, that's one thing. But if you conduct this kind of an insight in a nonverbal fashion and you display it in an art space, it, has, it not only informs people, but it also inspires people. Right, And I think that's why it's so important that we have artists like Yoon Jung-mi. So this is something that I call the construction of deconstruction. What she's doing is she's actually de deconstructing these social norms and making a construction of all these you know, uh, separate items, put them all together in the same, within the same frame. You finally take a nice picture and you finally get the picture, if you know what I mean. Right? So... This is, I think, one of the many, many, many interesting things and wonderful things about the insight of this particular artist. I see. So tell us more about this exhibition you mentioned then. I believe we can see some of the works that you've mentioned already, such as the Pink and Blue project where you see the children with their uh, items, right? Absolutely. And the uh, name of the show is, well, the original Korean name is Soyuwa Kwange, which literally means possession and relation. The venue is a gallery called Look Inside. It's spelled look hyphen in hyphen side. Uh, the show runs through March 12th. Uh, the, ga the gallery is here in Seoul. And the first and second floors of the building is where the exhibition is, or I'm sorry, Chang, well, the ground floor and first floor, if you know <laughs> what I mean, right? Mm. Um, a couple of more things I'd like to mention about this venue. Uh, on the ground floor, floor slash fl first floor, uh, there's an art book shop and a really nice reading space slash cafe as well. The reason why I'm saying all this is because the director of the gallery is also a rather talented visual artist himself, Mr. Shim Jae Chang, a.k.a. Alex Shim. I would definitely love to introduce his work to our listeners <laughs> as well, and hopefully not to distant future. And um, as for the Yun Jung Mi exhibition, uh, these works are a selection from two different series of hers. The first one is from the one I mentioned earlier, the Pink and Blue Project. The other one is from the Palyo Dongmer series, which uh, means animal companion, or in just one word, pets, mm. right? And what I find interesting about this series is that, you know, it, she places the person and a pet in a particular kind of a fashion where you really feel the chemistry between the two, right? And by doing so, it's as if, oh, wait a second. This is not some kind of a unilateral relationship where the pet owner just has the pet because right. they like their visuals and just they feed them, that kind of thing. No, it's a bilateral political situation. So many other things are going on. And I think it's really important in th this particular time when, you know, we have all this new discourse on what exactly is the relationship between human and non-human. I mean, not just in the pet, you know, uh, uh, culture, but also in, say, environmentalism. So in that sense as well. It doesn't, it doesn't really get any more insightfully contemporary than how it is for Yoon Jung-mi, so kudos to her. Yes, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It sounds like a fascinating exhibition. For more details and previews, our listeners can check out our Instagram, kbs underscore career24. That's all for Explore Career this week, Joe. Thank you once again, and we'll see you again soon. Great. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. 
Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have Richard Larkin joining us in the studio now. He is, of course, our star editor. Mm -hmm. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Nice to see you. Okay, so what's the first story that you have for us today? First, we head to Lee Min Young's article in the Weekender section of the Korea Times. The reporter went to Yum Chung Gyo Shoe Street, north of Seoul Station, to interview the traditional handmade shoemaker, Go Gi Hwang. What's interesting is that the article mentions that there are still around 130 shops operating on the street. Go Shop has been in business for the last half century. Wow, okay. So this is a fascinating area, actually, just outside of us whole station, as you said. Uh, so what type of customers does a cause business actually attract? Well, the customers are usually those looking for a very specific and unique design or those who find standard size shoes uncomfortable, such as people with disabilities. Mm. Go mentions that the community began when merchants used to take combat boots discarded by the US military to make shoes in the past. A lot of effort goes into making shoes and the whole process does look a lot longer than going to a regular store. But it also looks like it is a more rewarding experience for customers. Go even said that they would walk a few hundred metres and come all the way back just to thank him again. <laughs> right, and if you've been down that street, you'll see quite a lot of uh, weird and wonderful shoes in the shop windows for very particular <laughs> tastes, as well as actually for specific needs, as you said, uh, such as professional sports dance shoes as mm. well, actually. So it is an area that really caters to uh, people with specific needs. Uh, but you say there are 130 stores still around. I'm guessing there used to be a lot more. Yes, I'm guessing that as well. Right, so uh, what does that? What does the shoemaker say about that? Well, the shoemaker talks about his worries regarding traditional shoemaking in the future, because as you mentioned, there were more stores. Hmm. Go said that he is old, so he's hoping that there are more younger people out there who can take over for him, like people he can share his knowledge with. The reason of that is that there is so still so many people out there who are in pain because their feet aren't made to wear standard fitting shoes. The article goes into so much detail about how Go makes shoes, mm. so it's definitely worth a read. Okay, so that's available in the Career Times for tomorrow. Mm. Uh, let's move on. What's the next article you chose for us? It's about an interesting collaboration. A 475-year-old German orchestra called Staatskapel Dresden will come to Korea and tour with the conductor Jung Myung-hoon and pianist Jo Sung-jin. Park Young's article about the tour stops can be found in the culture section of the Korea Herald. Okay, so can you tell us more about this orchestra? Sure. The orchestra was founded in 1548 as a royal court ensemble, so there is a lot of history there. Mm. The conductor Jung also has a bit of history with the ensemble, as back in 2012 he became the orchestra's first guest conductor. Jung said in a recent press conference that having one of the world's top orchestras perform so many pieces in one country is a big deal. It shows how Korea has become an important location in the classical music scene. Indeed. And this isn't the orchestra's first time in Korea, though, right? That's right. This is the orchestra's seventh visit to Korea. The last time they performed here was back in 1995. So on Tuesday and Wednesday at the Seoul Arts Centre, the orchestra will perform four Brahms symphonies. 
Then on Thursday, they will head to Sejong Center in Sejong. And finally, they will head to Seoul's Lotte Concert Hall on Friday and Art Center in Chile on Saturday. You can read more about the tour and what will be performed in the article. Okay, that's all for Morning Edition Preview today. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.